Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. I'm Jono. I'm one of the pastors here and just excited to be here today to ex- just uh, to dig into God's word a little bit together with you. Um, just sense a, a hunger and a, a responsiveness in this place. Just these last few weeks, it's been, am I working here? Am I on? Yeah. Um, just, just been amazing to kind of sense that from the spirit that you guys are hungry and responsive to what God's doing. So I'm excited to just hear what, uh, what God is going to do today to be a part of this, um, today. You know, Jesus was asked on the road one day, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest commandment. And that's what our, our series is on. It's on love. It's what, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to love well? Many of us are not taught what it looks like to love well. And what, what does love actually, how does it work itself out in our lives and in uh, and, and, and what we do? And so last week, John kicked off the sermon series just with Love Weeps. Love is, love comes to us in our deepest, darkest, hardest moments and enters in with us. That's what love looks like. Love weeps with us. Love brings hope in darkness. And today we are going to be talking about love worships. Love worships. And we're going to look at John 12. We're going to see a picture of love and reflect just on what does what does the power of worship do to form us into people of love? So would you read with me John 12? You can open up your Bibles today if you have them. If you brought them, love to have you, you bring them during this series. We're doing the, uh, some snapshots in the book of John. And so this is John 12, 1 through 10. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, 
It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's just pray real quick. God, we want to hear from you. God, we want more of you. Would you use this scripture, God, to show us who you are, show us how good you are, show us what love looks like. God, thank you for the story of Mary and that she anointed you in such an amazing and special way, God. And just uh, illuminate to us today what you want us to hear. We are listening in your name. Amen. Well, it's just a few weeks after Lazarus was raised from the dead. Just to give you a little context, a few weeks, and Jesus had to go off into the wilderness a little bit and hide because he created quite a stir once Lazarus was raised up. People started hearing about this Messiah. And the religious leaders started plotting against him. They said, if we allow him to go on like this, everyone's going to believe in Jesus. We got to stop this. One of, the, one of the chief priests, actually, he found a verse in the Old Testament, a prophecy that said one man had to die to unite the tribes of Israel. So they used this as a, a justification for what they were plotting. How ironic that that actually came to pass. And Jesus was a, he was a wanted man. There was a warrant out for his arrest. So here we are, we have verse one, six days before Passover. What does that tell us? This is the last week of Jesus. The last week of Jesus's life. He has a lot to do. There's a lot of ministry still to be done. And what does Jesus do? He gathers around a table with his closest friends. I love that. I love that just... Before the storm of this final week of his life, he gets his friends around the table to encourage him, to comfort him, to be together. What an awesome, awesome thing. What would you do if you had one week left to live? Imagine yourself at this table for a moment. Imagine yourself. The, there's a, a low table in the, in the Middle East that people would sit at. They would recline at the table on a pillow, probably just leaning up against the table, their feet on the outside, and they're eating and they're talking about all that's been happening, what's coming up. And all of a sudden, Mary goes into the back. She comes out with the most expensive thing she owns, and she breaks it apart and starts pouring it on the feet of Jesus. And it says, the fragrance filled the house. These disciples, they were sitting there, and all of a sudden, they all get, get hit with this perfume. You ever had that sensation where the smell just kind of overwhelms you a little bit? They get hit with this perfume, and, and it's kind of awkward. And uh, There's an awkward silence. What, what's going on here? 
why, why is this happening? Why is Mary doing this? And Judas breaks the silence and he criticizes Mary. Why would she do this? This is, this is a waste. Matthew says that. Why the waste? Just put yourself at the table for a moment. Are you closer to Judas or closer to Mary? Are you, are you criticizing what's going on here? Or are you worshiping Jesus? Worshiping the one who had just raised her brother from the dead? Are you full of complaint or extravagant gratitude? Mary shows us what it looks like to worship, to truly worship Jesus. Worship is, is such, a, it's such a misunderstood word, isn't it? We think of worship music. It's like a genre on our Spotify playlist, isn't it? We have the country music and hip-hop and worship, you know? But worship, it's so much more than just music. Music's a part of it. Singing's a part of it. But music, uh, worship is a, it's a heart posture. It's a lifestyle. It's worthship. It's being clear about what is worth the most to you. What has the highest value in your life? Worship. That's what it is. It's that posture of saying, this is the highest value in my life. And if you want to know what you worship, you can just look. Take, a, take an inventory. Where do I spend my time, my talent, my treasure? Where do I spend my life? That is what you worship. Earlier, John in, in the gospel says, he, he quotes Jesus saying, Jesus is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And I, I believe Mary gives us what true worship really looks like here. What does it really look like to worship God? So I, a couple just thoughts, and it's mainly from verse 3, but uh, it, this, this whole passage here. Um, true worship brings us to our knees. True worship brings us to our knees. It makes us humble. She poured it on Jesus' feet. What does that tell us? What does that tell us that she poured it on Jesus' feet? Mary literally had to get down on her knees, and she took the place of a servant in that moment. That, that is what the servant, the lowest servant in the house, would attend to someone's feet. So Mary is just showing her incredible humility here that she She's worshiping God, and, and worship brings us to our knees. She realized who she was in the presence of, it, doesn't she? She realizes that she is in the presence of one who has just raised her brother from the dead, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's also in a, this, this anointing that she does for Jesus. This is a prophetic anointing. Anointing in the first century was something you would do after people were buried. It was something you would do after people died, not before they died. And so Mary, she's, she's not waiting. She understood Jesus is going to die. He has, he has explained this over and over to his disciples, hasn't he? He said, hey, I am going to go and die. I'm going to go be handed over, and I'm going to be killed. And then I'm going to be raised up in three days. And Mary in her humility, she understood this. 
She got it. The other disciples, not so much. They're just sitting there. They don't understand what is happening. They don't understand why she's doing this. They are just hearing what they want to hear. They didn't, they didn't get that Jesus was on his way to death. And Mary humbly receives this teaching. She, she's able to humbly receive what Jesus is really doing. I believe Mary's humility helped her understand Jesus. Am I truly open to what God wants to say to me? Am I truly open to what God wants to say to me? You know, this is really why we, why we sing and come to worship before we listen to God's word. This is why we do that first, is, is because it does something to us. It puts us in a posture of humility and openness and recognizing once again that I am not God, that God is God, that he is amazing, that he is for me, that he is just this, this incredible being that wants so much for me to have life and have it abundantly. And so worship makes us humble. It brings us to our knees. It, it baffles me sometimes um, just in our setting here. I know we're in Santa Barbara and time's very, you know, it's very relative, but there, there's about 20 people when we start worship in here sometimes. And I want you to get this the wrong way. I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you or anything about coming late, but I, I think it's, an, it's a lack of understanding of why. Why do we worship? We worship so that we can receive what God has for us. We worship so we can grow in that hunger for his word, for his presence, for his love. I love what Eugene Peterson said here. He says, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. It whets our appetite. I wonder if we thought of it that way, if we came on Sunday and we're like, I gotta whet my appetite before this meal that I'm gonna have on Sunday morning. I gotta get my soul ready for it because it's been running around and I gotta get into the presence of God so that he can humble me enough so that I can hear his voice. That is what we're doing here. That is why we, that's why we sing, that's why we worship. I love Psalm 8, when I consider the work of your hands, what it what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? This posture of humility, when, when we consider how big and amazing and incredible God is, the, the stars and the moon and everything that he put into place and the incredible love he has for us, it, it humbles us. What is mankind that you would even consider us? It's a posture of humility. True worship brings us to our knees. Here's the second insight. True worship focuses our heart. Verse three says, she wiped his feet with her hair. That's kind of surprising. Why would she do that? Would she, would, didn't she have a rag like ready right there? How would she wipe his feet with her hair? A woman's hair in the first century, especially Jewish women, where they kept their hair up. Their hair was their glory. They would not let people see their hair come down. And yet this act of, of service, it just showed that Mary's heart was undivided. It was focused so much on Jesus and what he thought 
And so he wiped, she wiped his feet with her hair. This actually would have been scandalous for the other disciples sitting there. They, they probably were thinking, what is she doing? Dropping her hair like that and wiping his feet. And I, I loved, as I was talking to Aaron this week, I love what she said. It's, it's, not that, it's not that she didn't care what the others thought. It's just that she cared more what Jesus thought. She cared more about Jesus in this moment. An undivided heart. True worship focuses our heart. I love this prayer in Psalm 86. David says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, that I may worship you. Give me an undivided heart. Mary shows us this is what an undivided heart looks like. You know, the average human attention span, you ever, you ever looked into this? The average human attention span is 8.25 seconds. I already lost some of you right there. Eight seconds, there it goes. Attention spans can range from, you know, two to 20 minutes. And the average human attention span has decreased by 25% since the year 2000. 23 years, we've decreased our attention span by 25%. You know what the average attention span of a goldfish is? Nine seconds. It's... That's almost a second longer than you. No, it, it, hopefully yours is a little bit longer than that. But here, here's my point is we're, just, we're, so, we're so distracted in this world, aren't we? Aren't we so distracted? I think our hearts are the same way. Our hearts are so distracted and easily distractible. And we give our hearts to so many things so easily other than what is the most important thing. We can give our hearts to, to sports to money, to prestige, to travel, to experiences, to reputation, to sex, to politics. How do you know what you have given your heart to? How do you know if your heart is divided? Just think about it for a second. Check in with yourself. What do you think about the most? What are you concerned What are you worried about the most? What triggers you when it's taken away from you? When our hearts are undivided, when they're focused, God can use them in such a powerful way, like with Mary. It's like a laser that just reveals who God is. It's amazing what what he does through Mary in this moment. We see more clearly, we have more peace, we can hear his voice, we have strength to obey Jesus when we have an undivided heart. I'm in a group this fall with some friends, with Stephen and Kurt and Michael and Ryan and Sarah and Aaron, and we're, we're studying just Sabbath, how to keep the Sabbath and, and the four movements of Sabbath that are stop, rest, delight, and worship. And, uh, and we're just asking God, what do you want to do through the Sabbath? Why, why is it so hard to keep the Sabbath? And one of the things that I've just noticed as I have been more intentional about the Sabbath is it focuses my heart. As I give my, this Sabbath, a, a day set apart for God, for, for him, to honor him, to love him, 
my heart gets focused, gets focused in a, in a different way and, and it's less distractible. As I end my week that way and start my new week that way, that's how I live out of that. And it's just been a, it's been a powerful experience, experimenting with how do we live out an undivided heart. And Sabbath has just been one of those practices for me that, that has helped me focus my heart. And so let me go to the third, my third point here is true worship frees me up to give my best. True worship frees me up to give my best. Verse three, Mary took a pint of pure nard. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? I think of Oxnard when I think of the nard. I don't know, but this isn't from Oxnard. This is an expensive perfume. This would be the most expensive thing Mary owned in her house. It's like the family treasure in this jar. This is it, the most expensive thing. You ever heard of Pliny the Elder? Anybody know that one? Not the beer, no, the guy. He, he actually, he, he's a first century encyclopedia writer. And I, I've always wanted to quote, quote Pliny the Elder. But he mentions 12 species of nard that refer to oil crushed roots from plants from the Himalayas, from China, from Nepal, from India. So this nard, it came a long way. And, and it is so expensive, this oil that she puts on the feet of Jesus. It's the most expensive thing. And she brings her best. She's freed up to bring the best that she has to worship Jesus with the best. It's hard to even kind of put it into our cultural terms, but if maybe the average salary in Santa Barbara would be seventy-five dollars to $100,000, something that would cost that much that she's pouring out onto the feet of Jesus. She pours it out, not carelessly, but she seems to use the whole bottle. And Judas criticizes her in Matthew. He says, why such a waste? Jesus answers, leave her alone. And then he says something a little confusing. If you read different translations, it kind of says different things. It says, she's saving this for my burial. She needed to do this to honor me in my, in my, um, my death. And so there's, there's kind of a, a little bit of mystery in what he says here, but that might be part of the point, I think. Giving extravagantly doesn't always make sense, does it? Love does not calculate. God leads us to love in a way that sometimes seems outrageous. That's what Mary does here. When I truly worship, when I worship God, I am freed up to love lavishly, to love extravagantly, to give my best, my best time, my best resources, my best talent, I trust when I'm worshiping that God is enough, that he will provide. I lose my need for self-protection, for protecting my own self, worried that I won't be enough or that I won't have enough or that I won't get enough. And Judas, he asked, why the waste? Why the waste? I can relate to Judas. I hate wasting things. It's hard to love extravagantly. 
Extravagant love, Bob Goff said this, extravagant love is never a waste. It's never a waste. Here's the thing. I can only love extravagantly when I realize how extravagantly I've been loved. How lavishly I've been loved. Mary experienced the grace of God firsthand. It was her brother that was raised from the dead. She was in her deepest, darkest moment and Jesus showed up and he brought hope and he brought healing and he raised her brother from the dead. She gets it. She has experienced the grace of God firsthand. Have you? Have you experienced God's grace firsthand? He wants you to. He wants you to experience how lavishly he loves you. I love Joy's story. That, that, that's, that's what it was when she experienced the lavish love of God. That's when she heard the call to go and share that love. 1 John 3, 1. Such a great verse to memorize. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we may be called sons and daughters of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That's what this table is about that we get to experience this morning. You get to experience firsthand the grace of Jesus Christ for you. His love poured out on the cross for you. What does this look like to love extravagantly in our world? What does it look like? I'm trying to think of some examples. Joy was such a great one. Last week, we had Lila up here sharing about our brothers and sisters in Mexico. And you responded and, and donated over $25,000 to our Mexico team. And that is just extravagant love for people we don't even know. Yeah, you can applaud for that. <laughs> Giving houses to people we don't know, that's extravagant, isn't it? You did that. You were moved. I think of our building campaign just keeps blowing me away last year that we had $8 million pledged for a ministry center downtown that is going to bring the love of Jesus to Santa Barbara. You lavishly loved God through your gifts, through your commitments. And it's not just about money. I, I think of people in our church. I've, I'm hearing stories of people mentoring lower income students in our church for years and years, walking alongside them, reading to them, giving them resources, helping them through counseling. That is extravagant love. Children that are not their own. That's extravagant love. True worship helps us love, frees us up to love extravagantly. Where might God be calling you to love lavishly, to love someone lavishly today? Last one here. True worship transforms us. It changes us. I just love that line in this passage. And the house was filled 
with the fragrance of the perfume. The perfume went out, the, the oil went out, and the house was filled. You couldn't get away from it. It smelled like love. The power of smell. Isn't smell just so powerful? The way God created us to smell things and how they're tied, our smells are tied to our memories and they're tied to different experiences we've had. I bet you have some right now you're thinking of just that smell that either that person or that experience or that memory. Smell is so powerful. I love when the, in 40 Days of Decrease, it's a, a book that I highly recommend going through for Lent, Alicia Cole. Um, she writes about the smell of Jesus. And, and I love what she said. She said, Jesus was probably anointed twice in the Gospels. Or, or twice the last week of his life. He was anointed four times. There's four different stories of anointing. And, and twice during the last week, his head and his feet here with Mary. And so Jesus smelled really good. He smelled real good. And, and just, just picture that for a minute. He has perfume dumped on his feet and his head. You know, first century people, they don't shower every day like we do like most of us do, I'll say. Um, but uh, it, Jesus smelled strong. It was a strong smell. And I love her insight that that last week, people would have smelled Jesus. As he comes into Jerusalem on a baby donkey, I wonder if people, the donkey's going by and they get a whiff of, of Jesus, actually, of a good smell, surprising. I wonder if when he turns the tables over in the temple, people smell, people smell Jesus. I wonder if Judas when he betrays Jesus and he gets really close and has to kiss him on the cheek. I'm pretty sure he smelled Jesus. And then she says, uh, I just love her insight that maybe on the cross, maybe as, as Jesus is actually hanging on the cross, he gets a whiff of this perfume. And it reminds him that the Father prepares all things well. The Father is there with him. The power of smell. What do you smell like? Do you need to do a smell fee? Smell fee this morning, anybody? Do you smell like Jesus? We become what we worship. We become what we worship. As we worship Jesus, we become like him. 
Jack Hayford, an awesome worship leader, pastor, said this, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. Worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshiped. If we worship money, we're gonna become greedy. We'll never have enough. If we worship sports, we're gonna become super competitive. We're not gonna be able to lose. If we worship our bodies, we become vain and conceited. If we worship degrees, titles, we become arrogant and conceited. I could go on and on, but if we worship Jesus, we're gonna become people of love. That is what he's doing with us. Church family, he is creating us into a body that is gonna go out and love people well. We are transformed into his likeness as we worship him. Listen to this verse, and I'm gonna close with this. Ephesians 3, 2, 5, 2, sorry. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me read it again. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I wonder if Paul had this story in his mind when he wrote that. We are to be a fragrant offering too. We're gonna get a chance to take communion this morning, but we also want to anoint you, anoint your hands today as a symbol of your hands and feet that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you are the aroma of Christ. You are the aroma of Christ. When people smell you, may they smell Jesus. And so you're going to come up and we're going to have you um, experience firsthand the grace of God. That Jesus has laid down his life for you. You get to take the bread, his broken body, and dip it in the cup. His blood shed for you. For the forgiveness of sins. And experience that. And then the person next, uh, next to the communion server is going to anoint your hands. You just... Put your hands out. They're going to anoint your hand and remind you that you are the aroma of Christ. Where you go, Jesus goes with you. Jesus is transforming you. He's changing you into his likeness. We're going to commission you to be the love, to live a life of love. So I'm going to have the communion servers. If you guys would come on up here in the band, come on up.
the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let me pray for all of us today as we receive these gifts. Jesus, we are here to worship you. We're here to experience your grace firsthand. God, thank you for the testimony of Mary that she so humbly, unashamedly came and anointed you. God, thank you for teaching us through her. May we be anointed today to be the aroma of Christ. God, remind us as we leave, as we smell this fragrance, that we would smell like you, God. Remind us to, to be transformed into people of love. Thank you for this time today. Would you move in our hearts? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, when you're ready today, we're going to have you come down the middle aisle and then have you go around the outside. So come down and you can find a, um, there's two by two up here. So just find an empty spot and experience communion and get anointed and experience the gifts of God for you. So let's stand together, and then when you're, when you're ready, come on down, and we're going to sing some worship together.